Unique, yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we are delighted to have you listening once again. Coming up, we will continue our history lesson on the beginning days of the Orlando Magic with a former Sentinel beat writer for the team. That will be coming up shortly. First, we will cover some other topics. The Los Angeles Chargers. Boy, did they go under the radar. They've beaten the Kansas City Chiefs, who were initially considered the lot to be the lead team in the AFC. The Chargers have now thrown themselves in the mix, albeit quietly. I have to admit, I have overlooked them, as many folks have. And they're overlooked in their own city because the LA Rams get all the attention and the Rams have been explosive up until the last couple of weeks. They've kind of hit the the road bump a little bit. Phillip Rivers having one of his best seasons. They have a great defense. Melvin Gordon will be back. He's been giving them great play in the running game. The Chargers are definitely for real. So what did I say earlier in the season about Baker Mayfield? Yeah. I use the words, let's tap the brakes on Baker. And I still say that, but in reservation, I will say, he is having a terrific season, and he has grown into the role. He has definitely got that fire. He gives the team playmaking ability at the quarterback position, and the Browns are no longer the laughing stock of the National Football League. Now, I still say tap the brakes because let's go back and look at RG3, my favorite example in this area. They were shining up his uh, bust for Canton, Ohio in his rookie season. And it all went south from there. Now, I'm not saying that'll happen to Baker Mayfield because I think he'll put in the work and I think he'll be dedicated to the craft, but it won't be easy. Dak Prescott had an amazing rookie year. He has not been at that level since. He's had some ups and downs there, and he will he continue to be a solid NFL quarterback? Most likely, yes, but still work to do because a rookie season does not guarantee long-term results. And I suppose you saw the uh, news last week. The uh, Chicago Blackhawks mascot was jumped by a fan, and the mascot turn around and kicked his tail. And it seems to me the mascot's getting a lot of heat for this. Now, I know you want them not to get into fights and things like that, but when a drunken fan, you know, basically assaults you, you have the right to defend yourself. And, of course, maybe being drunk had something to do with it, but <laughs> why would you go after a mascot? Because... It's not like they're the, the the cute little furry thing inside the mascot. These folks, by and large, I would say 99% of them are exceptional athletes with the things they have to do in that costume and a lot of the physicality that they have to perform their job. So don't get tipsy and don't pick fights with the mascots. As we continue our series on the early days of the Orlando Magic, it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast a gentleman who covered the Magic Beat for the Orlando Sentinel back in the early 90s and co-hosted a number of radio shows with me on WGTO called Courtside. We say hello to Barry Cooper. Barry, how you doing, my friend? 
Jeff, I'm doing great. How have you been? I've been uh, I've been great as well, and it's uh, great to catch up and reminisce about the the days of when the magic uh, got started and started in, in in formation. And it was a team in its first season that uh, was basically a lot of castoffs. You know, they're unprotected by their teams. Guys like Scott Skiles, Sidney Green, Greg Kite. Um, and they kind of started off pretty hot that first season, at least in the first couple of months before falling back into expansion mode. Uh, but it certainly wasn't an impressive start for a franchise, for a new franchise. Well, you know what? It was an incredible time. The, the city was just electric. Uh, it's the first major professional sports team for Orlando. Uh, no one could believe that it would happen. And when you look at it, Back at those days, the team cost just $32.5 million. That's pocket change to Shaquille O'Neal these days. <laughs> uh, got that thing going with the arena. Uh, it was electric. Uh, uh, Matt Gukas came on as the, the first coach back then. Uh, I remember them taking Nick Anderson with the 11th pick in the first round. And the incredible thing, it, it, was, it was so new to everybody in Orlando. We were just amazed at these guys being in our city and wearing a jersey uh, with the Orlando Magic on the front. I remember Nick Anderson moved his entire family, his extended family, brothers, sisters, cousins, mom, all moved from Chicago to be close to him uh, as he uh, became the first rookie for the Orlando Magic in 1989. So what a wonderful time that was. We all pinched ourselves at the prospect of having a, a, a major sports team in the city. And it was just a great time. But you're right. Uh, th that was a collection of cast-offs, uh, but they were lovable to the people here in Central Florida. Yeah, that hardworking mentality certainly came about. Of course, uh, Pat Williams uh, got it all orchestrated. And, and it's just amazing to think that, uh, they, that uh, again, a team thriving in Orlando right out of the gate, Pat Williams – you know, had to do a lot of door knocking and a lot of, lot of, lot of his carnival sales uh, mentality, and he really did a great job hyping and getting the town ready for it. Well, you know, Jim Hewitt was the uh, the principal catalyst for getting the team. Mm -hmm. uh, he was just a small business guy here in town. Uh, had this idea about you know it's time for Orlando to have a pro sports team, and he went about trying to get support for it. And the best thing he did was hire that carnival barker named uh, Pat Williams. And Pat Williams did some magic. I mean, uh, it's good that he's still a part of the franchise now because it would not have happened without him. Uh, I'm convinced of that. Uh, Orlando uh, came into the league with Charlotte, uh, Miami, and Minnesota. And at the time, uh, no one thought that Orlando, or rather the state of Florida, would get two teams, that it would go to Miami or Tampa. Uh, Miami became a lot, and it was with Pat Williams' uh, enthusiasm and never-say-die attitude that Atlanta was able to get one of those franchises. Yeah, and I tell you what I remember most, too, is uh, as he was uh, on the campaign trail, if you will, uh, he would go on every radio station, no matter the size. I, I mean, before I was at WGTO, I was working at a small AM over on over in Brevard County, and he would he would call up uh, when I was doing the morning. Hey, can I come on and talk about the magic? Oh, of course you can. <laughs> and, and he would he would he would he would not leave any stone unturned. He certainly had 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 that uh, had that ability to to hit to to unearth everything 
possible to to get the word out? He would tell me often, he got up every morning, and his first thought was to put shoe leather the pavement, as he described it. He'd talk to any group. Uh, he'd meet with any um, uh, potential fans in the city who might become season ticket holders. And just a remarkable sales job, just a carnival blocker who delivered on what has become uh, really a pretty good franchise. And then you think about the uh, the other thing he brought to us was the incredible luck of the draft lottery, man- managing to land the ping pong balls in consecutive years. You know, they get Shaq, right? Uh, they get Shaq and they get uh, Penny Hardaway. And they won one of those draft lotteries with, um, just one ping pong ball, just amazing. Yes, and and so and those two guys become the cornerstone of the franchise. So just an, an incredible stroke of luck. Uh, the entire NBA was just furious. This new club uh, that had not been in existence for very long, uh, winning two draft lotteries, and the biggest prize, of course, was Shaquille, who was immediately compared to Wilt Chamberlain and all the other great centers that came before him and went on to become, of course, uh, one of the all-time greats. And then also uh, with, with Penny Hardaway, which uh, obviously that uh, was interesting because originally the draft pick was one Chris Weber, but then they orchestrated the trade uh, to, uh, to bring Hardaway in as he was picked later. And uh, Penny Hardaway to me was, you, you just think about, how dynamic a player he was. He did things on the basketball court that would just make your head spin. And he was very deserving to be recently inducted into the Magic Hall of Fame. Agreed. Uh, just a dynamic player, um, great acceleration off the dribble, great 19, 20-foot jump shot, uh, could get to the hole, and the ideal guy to have opposite Shaquille O'Neal, who was so dominant down in the, in the, uh, in the paint. So. Uh, those two players, after they made the, the trade uh, that involved Chris Webber, uh, really set the cornerstone for the Magic in those early years. Yeah, so then they started to accelerate with, uh, with those two young, young guns, and then they finally got the missing piece, and it was, uh, it was uh, Horace Grant becoming available as a free agent, and the Magic were able to land him. Uh, tell me what, how... how Bigger role he played in elevating the Magic to that next step. You know, I think Horace Grant was excited about coming because of Shaquille. It was a chance uh, to come to Orlando and do something uh, different, uh, to be a part of what he thought could be a team that could compete for championships for a number of years. And to have that size down in the low post next to Shaquille and be somewhat of an enforcer uh, down low, uh, was huge. And so when you look at that early roster, how the team rebounded from a collection of castoffs, uh, if you remember that the 89 team had the Reggie Theus, Scott Skiles, Terry Catlich, Sam Vincent, Otis Smith, and Jerry Reynolds, uh, all good guys, but that wasn't going to win you a championship. Mm. Uh, but when they had the luck in the lottery uh, to get Shaq and then to win it again and end up eventually with Penny Hardaway, uh, they became a contender. And I also found it interesting, that if my memory serves me correctly, I think you and I were on the air the, the day, that, the day that um, 
Horace Grant's signing was kind of under scrutiny. I believe the original deal was kind of uh, looked at and they kind of had to rework it. So for like a brief moment, everybody was holding their breath. Oh my God, we're not going to get him. <laughs> <laughs> but he did come. And yes. so you know, one of the disappointments is that he has not remained close to the franchise, but he was very viable uh, to that early success uh, here in Orlando. Uh, would not have gotten to uh, as far along as the franchise did without him, I'm sure. And then, of course, 1995 was the the the, the pinnacle year when they um, advanced to the finals. And, of course, it was so exciting. They took out the Celtics, and then they actually took out Jordan and the Bulls, which was, was amazing. You know, 60-22 and 22 record, 94-95, just amazing. Uh, you had uh, Horace Grant, who came from the Bulls, of course, uh, blended in nicely with Shaq and Penny. Um, and that is incredibly um, remarkable that a team that had just been nothing just a few years earlier um, soars to a 60 and 22 mark. And then, of course, they uh, made their way to the finals and and uh, eventually losing that to the Houston Rockets and, and the, the, the tough break of Nick Anderson missing the free throws in game one in a game the Magic had in their hands, then that ultimately turned that series, but still did not take away from the accomplishment of making it all the way to the finals. It was disappointing that they got swept in that series, uh, but for a franchise that was so young uh, to accomplish that and really just a short amount of time when you look at how long it takes to build championship teams. Um, you know, I don't know that will be, that that will be topped um, in the Orlando Magic's history until they win, actually win a title because it, it all happened so fast with the, with the luck in the lottery, getting one of the all time greats in Shaquille, building a nice team around him. And I think a lot of that credit has to go to, John Gabriel, who turned out to be an incredible executive yes. with an eye for talent, a guy who could uh, relate to the players. Um, and he played a big role in putting uh, those early Magic teams together once he ascended to uh, the general manager's role uh, for the Magic. And Brian Hill, uh, a man who served under, uh, under Matt Gukas uh, and then became the head coach. Uh, I think and his his role in in that I think goes very underrated as well. You know he was very understated. Uh, he wasn't a showman. He didn't need the spotlight. A very good coach. I mean, he really was a great coach, and he just went about his business. And you know, it it fit um, the makeup of the ball club because he had a lot of personalities uh, on the, ma the Magic roster. And uh, he was able to get the most out of the players. And I think what he did in his tenant co as coach uh, probably has been understated, not recognized enough. Uh, he's loved, of course, by the fans. He's still here around on the radio broadcast and television broadcast. Mm -hmm. But um, he, he was the right coach for the Magic during that time. Absolutely. So, Barry, that was, uh, you know, I hate to say it such a, such a long time ago. Uh, what, what has Barry Cooper been up to since, since those uh, glory days? You know, I, I, I went into digital media. I started um, an Internet company uh, at the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, we got $5 million in funding for that. Moved a small team up to Chicago. 
uh, stayed with that venture for uh, about six years. Uh, we wound up folding that company as things started to change in the digital media landscape. Uh, went out to Phoenix uh, to, to start a small business out there for a Gannett um, organization, the Arizona Republic newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, wound up not getting uh, funding for that, and everything was just going crazy in media then. Uh, went to Norfolk, then to Dallas, and then finally we came back here about eight years ago and, and now loving it being back in Central Florida. So, Barry, is there anything that you miss in particular uh, about being in the sports media? Would you say anything stands out? You know, I miss the relationships with the players. I really do. Uh, that was fun, getting to know them as not only basketball players, but as, as men, human beings. Uh, you know, we think these guys live a charmed existence, and certainly they do. But they're people like the rest of us. Uh, to this day, I talk a lot with Jerry Reynolds. Uh, I also talked to some of the other guys like Sam Vincent. Mm-hmm. And so just those relationships with those guys that have lasted, oh my goodness, 10, 15 years, that's so enjoyable. And I'll appreciate uh, those relationships for, for years to come. Well, I'll tell you, Barry, it's been great catching up. And of course, I used to use this line back in the day. It's always fun to be hanging with Mr. Cooper to take uh, oh, the, the, the liberties oh, from, the, from, the, from the TV show. And uh, we certainly appreciate you sharing your time tonight. All right, Jeff. Thank you for having me. That was fun. And doing radio shows with Barry was certainly uh, one of my fond memories back in the radio broadcasting days. And finally, we take time here at Jeff Allen Sports Talk to wish you and yours the most joyous of holiday seasons. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to bringing you more unique yet common sense opinions on sports, as well as more great guests in 2019. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. I want to take a moment to tell you about the inspiration for Kramer's Salve for Dogs. I found Kramer as a small pup when we were living in Knoxville as I was taking our dog Precious out in the middle of a cold, rainy night. We had heard a dog barking and whining, thinking somebody had left him out on a balcony. No one came forth to claim him, so he joined our family. Kramer struggled mightily with skin allergies. My wife Joy tried all sorts of ointments and medications, and other than some temporary relief here and there, nothing was really helping him. Then she came to remember that people have used neem for its healing properties, and after two years of intensive research, created the best solution of its kind, not just for Kramer, but for dogs everywhere. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. A four-ounce, six-month supply, including shipping, is just $30. Or a two-ounce, three-month supply, including shipping, is just $20. Your pet is family and deserves the best. Help your dog end the itch and hotspot cycle by ordering online today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.